Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 20, and I'm going to read through verse 27. This is what the Bible says. It says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. How many of you in the room could use life and health in your body today? Yeah, me too. That's okay. You can clap for that. And then he says this. He says, above all else, guard your heart. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about how to guard our heart and the small decisions that we make on a daily basis to guard our heart. He says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And then verse 24, he says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. I feel like these are some practices that we can put into place in our life and they will really bring life and health and strength to our to our life. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to be here. We're so grateful to come together and to worship together and experience the presence of God and to see each other and be encouraged by each other. Thank you for these moments that we have together. And we're asking that your word would declare something into our lives and that it would do something not just in our thinking, but deeper, do something supernatural that goes beyond our natural ability thinking. And we will give you glory for it because you alone deserve that. And we thank you in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you look at your neighbor real quick and just say, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, people's mouths are out of control. Uh, People's keyboards are out of control. People's cell phones are out of control. We have a, we have a, (laughs) we have a mouth issue uh, in the country and world that we live in right now. And I think a lot of us could use that just common sense thought today of just watching our mouth. And that's what Proverbs tells us. He says, listen, guard your heart above all else for out of it flow the issues of life and keep your mouth, keep your mouth, keep guard over your mouth. One portion of scripture tells us that we, we guard our heart. Why? Because the issues flow out of it. Another says that out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So the heart is so important to the mouth because they are, they're connected, they're connected that way. And and what comes out of our mouth is so important because the Bible teaches us that in the, in the New Testament, in Hebrews, it tells us that the worlds were framed by the word of God. It teaches us that so much of what we experience, the fruit that is in our life, that we actually eat the fruit of our words. I tell people this all the time. If you don't like your life, then begin by changing your words because you're actually framing your world with your Words. If you speak by faith, you're framing your world in the world of faith. If you speak by sight, you're framing your world by what you see. And you will constantly be subject to your circumstances, 
to your background, to your education, to the plot you have in life. But if you will speak faith, you can frame a bigger world for yourself. Can somebody say amen? So we want to frame a bigger world for ourselves. We want to frame the world that we live in. Frames are, frames are the dimensions of the world. In other words, so when you talk about frames, it's, it's like if you have a picture frame, there's, there's dimensions. And so if you have a frame that's an 8 by 10 or 11 by 14 or whatever, you, you can only put a picture the size of the frame inside of the frame or else you, you won't be able to properly use the frame and the picture will go up against the frame and it will bend, but you put the proper picture in the proper frame and the picture of, of what God has for your life requires a bigger frame. And so you've got to speak words of faith and you've got to declare the word of God over your life so that you enlarge the frame of your life so a bigger picture, come on, can fit in the frame. So we, we watch our words because our words are forming the world that we, that we live in. You know, when a caterpillar goes up and it begins to cocoon, the actual cocoon that they, they change literally from a caterpillar into a butterfly in, it comes from their mouth. That, that material that creates the cocoon that they sit in and they, they change into something brand new, that comes from their mouth. So you actually, with the words out of your mouth, you're creating the world that you, that you live in. And if our words are so important, then we should, we should pay attention to what the scripture says about our words. The Bible teaches us very clearly that there, the importance of our words is, is obviously there, but, but what type of words should we be using and how many words should we be using? Because some people, it's not really what they're saying, it's just that they're talking too much. Have you ever met anybody who just talks too much? The Bible talks about people like that. <laughs> and, and so people can, can, people can have perverse mouths, but people can also have just mouths that words never stop coming out of. And that's also doing damage to their world. And so I want to give you just a few verses about watching your mouth. And I want to give you four things to, to, to make habits, to make habitual when it comes to your mouth. I think you should make clean talk a habit when it comes to your mouth. Can somebody say amen? Ephesians 4 and 29 says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. I'm telling you, man, we live in a world today that is so torn down, that is so bogged down, that is so destroyed, that is so disconnected, that is so dismembered. Man, if there was just a revival of people who knew how to build people up, I'm telling you, if you would use your social media platforms and your influence on your job and your influence with your family, not to tear people down because people are getting torn down every day. But if you would use the words that God has gifted you with to build people up, it's not that you don't ever offer any criticism or you don't ever say anything negative. But if you do say criticism or you do say something negative, your intention is not to tear somebody down. Come on, but as a follower of Jesus, your intention is always to build people up. Is there anybody thankful right now for the God who always builds you up with his words? He doesn't come to tear you down. He doesn't come on a Sunday to just rip you apart and tear you to shreds and say, good luck. Have fun. No, but his word comes to build us up. And we need to be those kind of people for the people in our lives. I'm thankful for the people in my life who use their words to, 
to build up. And, and they, should, they should give grace, the Bible says, to those who hear. So we need clean talk. I think we need less talk. Ecclesiastes 10 and 14 says, a fool multiplies words. <laughs> it's another, another translation says, a fool is full of words. We need less talk. We are, just, some people just, just talk too much. You just, it's just like, nah, nope, stop, enough, <laughs> quit, shut your computer off, <laughs> put your cell phone down, stop. And we need to really guard the amount of words that are coming out of our mouth. We need kind talk. Not just clean talk, but kind talk. Proverbs 15 and 4 says, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Have you ever been around people who, you, after you've been in their presence, it's just, it just crushes you. It takes the energy from you. It robs you of your joy. You, you come in hopeful and full of, full of, you know, full of cheer, and you're, you're like ready for the day, and then you sit with that person, and they just suck all the energy out of your life. They drain all the joy out of your life. They they, they, they poke holes in every single vision you have, every creative idea you have, every dream you have in your heart. They're always telling you why you can't do it and, and you're not qualified to do it. And do you know you don't have the money to do that? Do you know your education is lacking? Do you know you don't have the right background to do that? Man, I don't need more people like that in my life. I'm already thinking that stuff myself. I need people in my life who are going to give me words when they come out of their mouth that are going to build me up, that are going to be a tree of life for me, that are going to help me become who God has called me to be. Is there anybody thankful for a God who doesn't talk to us and crush our dreams and crush our hopes and crush our aspirations, but he actually believes better about us than we even believe about ourselves? And I need, I want to be that type of person. I want those kinds of people in my life. So, so not only do I need clean talk and less talk, but I need kind talk. Proverbs 15, 1 through 2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. But harsh words stir up anger. Do you know one of the problems that we're seeing in the streets right now in cities all across our country? It's, Harsh response, stirring up even more anger. Can I, can I tell you the best way to approach an angry person is not with an angry approach. All you're going to do to an angry person is make them more angry. Because here's the thing about angry people. They are unreasonable. You can't reason with them. You can't change their mind. Is anybody, has anybody posted something on Facebook and somebody put in the comment section, you know what? I'm so thankful you posted this today because I've thought this one way my entire life, but your post was so brilliant that it made me consider and ponder every decision I had ever made in my life. And I just want you to know today that you changed my mind. <laughs> Let me tell you the truth about, okay, okay, tell me the truth. And then somebody's like, yeah, you know what? I just, 
I'm so glad I met you today. Because if I wouldn't have met you, I would continue down this path of deceit and destruction. You saved my life today with your, your post. <laughs> nope. You want to go up to a person who's throwing Molotov cocktails through a target and say, you know what? Um, there's a better way to do this. <laughs> They're not reasonable. So the best way to deal with unreasonable people, the Bible says, soft answers. Soft answers. I've been praying and asking God, God, give me on the daily soft answers. How do you turn back wrath? Soft answers. How do you push back against angry people? Love. The Bible says that when they came and arrested Jesus... Peter got mad, and he went to meet their hostility with hostility. So they came to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off a man's ear. Jesus has to pick up the ear, put it back on the guy's head, and say, Peter, this is not how you change the world. I'm about to show you how you change the world. You love the world until you die for the world. That's how you change the world. You don't change the world by cutting their ears off with swords. You don't change the world by meeting their violence with more violence. You don't change the world by meeting anger with anger. You change the world by meeting their anger with a soft answer. So I'm praying God give me soft answers. Answers are solutions. We can stand in the streets and yell at each other all day. How about somebody sit somewhere and come up with a solution and present us a solution. And it's quite up in this mug. Because you're pondering every word you've thought, everything you've posted, everything you've been saying, every thought you've had towards, every argument you've got, every relationship you've destroyed over politics. And God is like, listen, you don't meet anger with anger. You meet anger with love. You meet anger, you meet frustration with a soft... Answer. <laughs> Whew, man. You're like, no. It doesn't work. Well, what we're doing right now isn't working. Soft answer. People of peace. Harsh words. What do they do? Stir up anger, Proverbs 15, 2 says. And then he says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. But the mouths of fools pour out folly. So here's the thing about angry people is you could, you could come to them with the greatest argument known to man. But they're so unreasonable. They won't listen. So what do I do? Let me offer a solution. Jesus said, for the sins of the world, for the anger, Peter, that's in your own heart, for the injustice of what's going on with these police officers arresting me in the garden, taking me in, an innocent man. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to punch back. I'm not going to scream back. I'm not going to be a good old boy with a gun. I'm going to lay my life down for these people. 
because that's a solution. You're going to wait the rest of your life, if you're waiting for Jesus to pick a political side, to pick your political argument, you're going to wait for the rest of your life. How did Jesus, this is, this is what makes him the greatest leader of all time, how in the world did Jesus work with, he had 12 disciples. He had a Judas, he had a betrayer, a person who literally stabbed him in the back for money. And at the end, he's still saying, he's still offering him around that table where they're breaking bread, he's still offering him an opportunity to not stab him in the back. Still loving him. How does Jesus not only work with him, but how does he work with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector? Simon the Zealot would have been anti-government. Simon the Zealot would have been the type of person who would, who would want to be in the streets with a weapon saying, he would, be either, he would be either Antifa or he would be like far right wing, uh, c- come take my guns, see what happens. <laughs> he would be one of those two. Simon the Zealot hated the Roman government so much that he was willing to fight against them. He would have been for acts of terror. He would have been for guerrilla type warfare. He would have been overthrow the government mindset. This is him. And he pairs Matthew, the tax collector, who works for the Roman government. He's an IRS agent with an Antifa leader. And because of those two putting down their politics, oh man, I'm sure they had some incredible arguments behind the scenes. But do you want to know how important they were? They're not listed. Do you want to know how important their political persuasion was? God doesn't talk about it. The only thing we see is that these people who come from opposite ends of the spectrum, who hate each other's ideology, come together in the name of this man, Jesus, who's not a donkey and he's not an elephant. He's the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And they said, I'll put all of that down to follow him. Soft answer. He took two men who were angry, hated each other, and he was so soft in his leadership that they were able to work together. And our lives are changed because Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector figured out how to work together. <laughs> Man, the Bible works, people. So I watch my mouth, kind talk, wise talk. Think about this. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28 says, whoever, remain, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I've been asking God. God, give me soft words and a cool spirit. Not like cool, like give me a swaggy spirit, but like, no, cool, like calm. Have you ever been around somebody, like, when they're around, your heart rate goes down? Like, your blood pressure, it just. But have you ever been around people who, when they enter the room, like, like, you need a bag, 
You start doing like, if you're, you start doing like those uh, breathing things you were doing when you, like the, the labor breathing stuff. <laughs> oh, man. God, help us to be the type of people that don't increase the heart problems of the people around us, but actually bring healing and health to people's hearts when we enter a room or we enter a conversation. Man, he says, verse 28 of Proverbs 17 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. In other words, in a nice way, he's saying, your IQ goes up when you shut up. And some of us, our mouths, our mouths don't, don't, our mouths don't really, in an overall sense, tell lies. Because even when we tell lies, our mouths are telling the truth about us. Our, our mouth is a revealer of our heart. And so we can be speaking lies, but we're, we're actually speaking the truth. We're telling the truth about who we really are. That's what our mouth does. And when we, when we have the patience and the wisdom to close it, sometimes it makes us look smart, even if we're not. But what it does is it gives more weight to our words when we do open our mouth. You ever been in a meeting and you like everybody's talking and going back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And there's just this one person just sitting there quietly listening. And they've heard everybody's perspective and they listen to all of the arguments and they've listened to the debate. And then they step in just right at the end and say, you know, can I offer this? And everybody in the room turns and looks because it's like this person who hasn't been talking back and forth the whole time is finally saying something. So when they finally say something, it must, must mean something. That's what the Bible is teaching us. Sometimes we can't really give wise answers until we learn the wisdom that it takes to keep our mouth closed and listen. That's why the Bible says you need to be slow to speak, quick to what? Listen. Right now there's not a lot of listening going on. There's a lot of talking going on. A lot of opinions out there. A lot of, here's an article, here's an article, here's a report, here's a report, here's what they said, here's what they said. Very few people are just like, I'm just going to sit down for a second and wait until calmer heads prevail. And then when people become reasonable again, maybe I'll, maybe I'll say some things. Wisdom doesn't just know what to say, it knows when to say it. The Bible says there's a time and a season for everything. There's a, there's a time to speak and there's a time to, to sit back and, and listen. And watch this. That time is not the same for every person. Right? Your life moves at a different pace than mine. You're on a different journey than me. You're at a different space and place in your life than I am. So just because it's a season 
for me to hold my tongue doesn't mean it's a season for you to hold your tongue. You have to be able to judge that by not only the quantity of words that are coming out of your mouth, but the quality of words that are coming out of your mouth. And if you're in a season where the quantity exceeds the quality, then maybe it's time to shut it down. Amen. So what do we do? How do we, amen, thank you. (laughs) Baby amens are the greatest amens. Hopefully that was a baby and not a grown person. If it was, thank you. For your baby grown up, amen. So if I'm going to, here's the thing, habits, to get rid of habits, I need to develop new habits, right? So if I'm going to replace perverted talk with clean talk or harsh words with kind words, then I've got to begin to develop that as a habit in my life. And so let me give you, I'm just give you three habits to develop with your mouth that will literally begin to change so much of what you put out there with your words. The Bible says this. I love this scripture so much. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. All three of these really require our mouth. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. I need to learn how to let what is not let what is theological and intellectual become instinctual in my life. I need to learn how because I'm telling you right now, I don't rejoice always. I complain mostly. I blame a lot. I'm not praying without ceasing. I'm worrying without ceasing most of the time. And I'm definitely not giving thanks in all things. I'm I'm rebuking a lot of things. Definitely not always giving thanks. So if those are not instinctual to me, if my first response isn't when difficulty comes my way to rejoice, James says, count it all joy, my dear brothers and sisters, not when a check comes in the mail or when you get a promotion or when your marriage comes back together. No, he says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials. Excuse me? Does anybody else look at the Bible and just say, excuse me? Like, I appreciate the sentiment. I realize it's there for a purpose, and it's the better way for my life. But this is ridiculous. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. When a trial comes on my life, be like, (laughs) joy. Joy unspeakable and full of the Holy Ghost, brother. Oh, man, you lost your job. What? How you feel about it? Oh, man, a lot of joy. A lot of joy and excitement. I'm, just, I'm happy about it. <laughs> your wife left you. How do you feel? Man, I've been, I've been rejoicing. Some of you would, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, 
<laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, hey, that doctor's report, what, what, what was it like? Oh, man, it was terrible. <laughs> but but I, I'm giving thanks. You ever felt like you've been living your Christianity like this? Like, <laughs> I'm dying on the inside, but look at my smile. <laughs> I'm dark in here. <laughs> Darkness, ruin, debt. <laughs> but glory to God. <laughs> the Bible is not, it's not giving you a checklist, a to-do list. What's trying to teach you is that these things that, that we look at is like, I, have to, I need to do this for God. I, I, I look at the Bible and then I, like, I write out, I need to do this, I need to do that. I need like, like a, a checklist. It's like, oh, I did that today. Oh, I, I, I love my enemy today. Oh, man, a bad day, bad day. Killed an enemy, but <laughs> we, we hid the body far away. Nobody will ever find it. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, that's, that's not what the, the Bible is asking. It's, it's, it's asking you not to do religious things. It's, it's asking you to develop a relationship with God so that instinctually you know that even though the report says this and the circumstance says this, Jesus would come along to people who were in terrible situations. He would come along to people in storms and he'd be like, be of good cheer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the boat's about to tip over and we're going to die, but all right. <laughs> be of good cheer. The reason we can rejoice, the reason we can pray, the reason we can give thanks, the reason we can have joy in trials is not because of what is happening to us, but because we know the outcome. That's why. So it's not asking you to have this religious response. It's at, he's asking you to have this instinctive response that's built on relationship. That's why he says, keep your mouth, fix your eyes. Your eyes are so important to your relationship with God because your focus is determining your desire. I want to tell you what I mean by that. I mean this. I mean that what you consistently look at, you start to long for. I tell, I tell married people this all the time. One of the reasons that you, you say stuff like, I've, I've fallen out of love with her. I don't feel the same way I used to feel about her. I don't. And she'll say stuff to you like, you don't look at me the way you used to look at me. That's, because that's what's happened. You, you don't look at her. You don't look at him the way you used to. You're looking at something or someone else that way. You're looking with, at something or someone else with that same type of affection and that same type, type of consistency. Because whatever you fix your eyes on, you begin to fall for. Whatever, and the Bible teaches this as a consistent theme throughout Scripture, that whatever you behold, you become. Right? Let me give you some, some verses for it so that you, you, I don't want you to just take my word for it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed into his very own image from glory to glory. So the more I look at glory, the more I become glory. 
if I keep my eyes, that's why the Bible says to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. One of the most common stories in the entire Bible is when Peter begins to sink in the water. Why does Peter sink? Well, we all know it's because he took his focus off of Jesus and began to focus on the circumstance. Why? Because as long as you look at Jesus, you can do what Jesus does. Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing in heaven first, right? So my eyes are constantly looking at the Father because if I look at him, I'll become what he's doing. We get it all wrong in Christianity. We focus so much on our doing instead of our becoming. And so we try to do all of this stuff for God and we walk around and like mad and angry and disgusted and like, what's wrong with you? I'm trying to be a Christian, okay? Okay, sorry. Why are you so uptight? I'm trying not to sleep with anybody, okay? I'm trying to be holy. Okay. What's wrong with you? I haven't had a drink in three days. Why? Because the Bible says drunkenness is a sin. It's like, why are you so mad? I'm saved. Oh, I didn't know that's how it worked. It's because it's backwards. Try to do all of these things. Instead of look at him. Jesus is like, I only do what I see the Father doing. Here's the thing about your walk with Christ. Never do anything that you don't have the relationship to do. Because if you do without relationship, it will lead to religious duty and you will be frustrated and you will quit. But if you do it out of relationship, there will be life. It's dangerous to try to do stuff for God when you don't have a relationship with God. There's a story in Acts, this, I love this story. It's in Acts chapter 19. And there were these guys, they were running around town. And they had seen the disciples casting out devils. And they thought, that looks pretty cool. Let's try that. So it was a, a Jewish priest and sons of Sceva. There, there were a few of them. And the Bible says they were running around and they were, they, were, they, were, they were trying to cast out devils. And they were doing this. They were like, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. That's your first indicator that they're in trouble. Paul preaches. We command you, they they come on this demon-possessed man, we command you to come out. And the demon talks back. He's like, what's up? And they're like, uh, he's like, hey, uh, I've heard of Jesus and I heard of Paul. But he's like, who are you guys? Why? Why? Because they were trying to do something without relationship. The Bible says that this demon was like, adios to the guy he was in, possessing. He jumps out of him and he beats these guys so bad that they ran out of the temple without their clothes on. You know you got whooped when you leave the fight without clothes. (laughs) That is bad. Have you ever got beat up so bad you were naked after it? Like, what happened to you? insane they run was crazy they run out of the temple and they're out there they're bleeding why because they tried to do something they had no relationship to do I'm not trying to live right for Jesus whom Paul talked about 
I'm not trying to obey, obey the Bible for Jesus who Robbie talks about on Sunday morning. No, in the name of Jesus who I know and I preach and whose life I follow, whose witness and example I tune in. Man, I know him. So because I know him in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, sickness, be healed. I know him. Like, I know him. <laughs> I know, and you, you can know him. That's what's so incredible about the New Testament. There doesn't have to be an in-between between you and God other than Jesus, and you can know him. Amazing. We stand on your feet with me? Jesus actually addressed this danger. He addressed it. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story of some friends of Jesus, their names are Mary and Martha. And Martha is in the kitchen and she's been cooking up a meal and getting the whole house ready for Jesus to come over. Now Jesus is over and everybody but Martha is in the living area and they're all listening to Jesus talk. And Martha comes out of the kitchen and she's frustrated because everybody's just sitting around the feet of Jesus. Nobody's helping her work. And she's like, Jesus, could you not say something at least to marry my sister? She's abandoned me. I'm back here in the kitchen. I'm trying to get all this stuff together. She's not helping Jesus. And Jesus is like, Martha, like, man, you, you're stressed out about a lot of stuff right now. And he says, but Mary has chosen the better part. When all, when all you do is do for God, but you don't know him, don't wonder you're mad at the world right now because it was never intended to be that way. No wonder you're frustrated with religion and church and Christianity. I'll give up on church. Yeah, go ahead. I gave up on church. I, I've thrown it all in with a relationship with Jesus. You know what I found? Church ain't that bad. People of God, what are they? People. Focus is Jesus. Jesus looks at her and he says, but Mary has chosen the better part. Stop choosing the kitchen over the feet of Jesus is what he's saying. Stop choosing do for God over relationship with God. Stop making that decision. And if you'll stop making that decision, your focus will determine your desire. Man, I want to love Jesus. I want to love his word. I want to love his church. I want to love relationship with him. That's where you'll develop that love. I want to love the things of God. I want a relationship with him. Anytime I've ever been mad at the things of God, I haven't had proper relationship with God. Anytime I've ever been mad at the church, mad at people, mad at this, mad at my situation, it's, be it's because I didn't have a proper relationship with God and everything in my life was upside down. It was turned around, it was opposite. And when I got that relationship focused back, things started begin to begin to make sense again. So focus determines desire and focus is so important because focus determines destination. It affects our destination in more ways than you could possibly imagine. Jesus told his disciples to go into Samaria in one portion of scripture in Luke chapter nine and he sends his disciples ahead of him because why? The Bible says he has, he's come to a point where he realizes like Jerusalem is my destination. 
So the Bible says he sets his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. Sets his face. He determines in his heart, I'm going to Jerusalem. Before he got to Jerusalem, he had to go through Samaria. So he sent word to the people in Samaria. Hey, Jesus is coming. Can you make a place for him? Can he stay on his way to Jerusalem? They send back word. Nope, Jesus, you can't stay here. Why? Because his face is set to go to Jerusalem. It's a strange response. And the response happens because the people of Samaria wanted Jesus to stay and be with them. They didn't want him to just pass through. They wanted him to be with them. So the fact that Jesus was just passing through, they didn't want anything to do with that. So they said, nope, don't even worry about coming. If your plan is to go to Jerusalem, don't even worry about us. And this is what will happen when your focus is correct, when your focus is on the right destination. Relationships will take care of themselves. And people that aren't supposed to be in your life will absolutely remove themselves from your life for you. I have never in my life cut somebody out of my life. I haven't had to do it. My focus has made them take themselves out of my life. Well, can't call Robbie anymore. He's just not going to do that anymore. Why? Well, he's got a different plan now. It's a different focus now. It's going a different route. He won't be any fun. He, he, won't, he won't do that. He won't want to do that. Why call him? Why invite him? So I've never had to be like, hey, guys, I can't, I can't come smoke weed with you guys anymore. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus now. No, it's just like my focus made them say, don't even bother. You want to you create and foster the right relationships in your life? Put your focus on Jesus and your focus will determine your relationships for you. You want the right spouse? Get focused. Not on trying to find somebody because when you're out there hunting, you could be hunting for a, a deer and see a squirrel and be like, well, I guess that squirrel will do. I guess it's squirrel soup tonight. <laughs> you have this entire idea and picture. Oh, this is, this is the person that I believe that God has for me. And then you get out there and you're like, where are they? <laughs> where are they? Well, he's, he's not sane, but he's cute. <laughs> or he's not cute, but at least he's got his right mind, you know? And then three days later, you wake up after the marriage and you're looking at him and it's like that story where the guy was like, he was so enamored with this girl's ability to sing. They got married and they've been married for three or four days. And one morning he wakes up and he looks at her and she hadn't put, she didn't, she didn't have any makeup on. She hadn't brushed her teeth. And it's real bright in the room. And he looks at her and he goes, Sing, baby. Just sing. You get it? Because he was not attractive. Why is it that we settle relationally? It's because we don't have focus. Come on, man. 
this is good. And when you don't have a focus, when your face isn't set, anybody can get into your life. And we don't want that. How many of you want the right relationships? How many of you want the right relationships? I do. I've seen more people's life derailed from bad relationship choices than just about any choices I've seen. I want the right relationship choices. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And I want to first ask, I want to ask if there's anyone in here, we've been talking about relationship and listen. Without relationship with Jesus, first of all, you can't even, can't even be confident that heaven is your home because Jesus is the way. And so in this place today, there are, There are probably three different types of people, maybe more, but I'm going to narrow it down to three. There are people in this room today who have never made a decision to follow Jesus. There's another type of person. There's a person who's made a decision to follow Jesus, but coming to church and being here today is just a religious activity. You're here to make your mom stay off your back. You're here to check a box that says, hey, I went to church today. I looked religious. You're here today because it's just an addition to your life. It's not your whole life. And then there are people in this room today who are, they feel maybe, maybe stuck relationally. They, they feel like there's more, but they're not really tapping into more. And all three of these spaces and places are not about doing more but they're about being with Jesus. They're a relational fix. They're a relationship issue. So today, I just wanna ask anyone in this place, if you're here, you say, I feel disconnected in my relationship with Jesus, whether you've never given your life to him or you're in here today and you've, you've given your life to him, but you feel Disconnected. Listen to me, God has not left you. The Bible teaches he will never leave nor forsake you. He's not walked away from you. Listen, we have walked away from him. And so you want to make a decision either for the first time to say, God, here's my life, take it all. Or you're in here today and you would say, God, I've, I've been doing my own thing, going my own way. And, and I want to come back to you. Or God, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm dry, I'm thirsty, I'm, I'm hungry for more. And and I don't know what to do, I'm, I'm, I'm a little lost. If that's you in this place today, I'm gonna count to three and I just want you to throw your hand in the air. And when you do, we're gonna pray and I believe in that God is gonna meet you right where you are. He's gonna do something supernatural in your life because God responds to faith. And so when you throw that hand up in the air, in faith, you're saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. And God sees that, he hears that, and God responds to faith. God doesn't even really respond to needs. He responds to faith. So I'm going to count to three. And when I do, just throw that hand up in the air. One, two, three. Throw it up if that's you. I see your hands all over the place. I see you. Don't, don't miss this moment. If it's for you, come on. Throw that hand up in the air. If this is for you, I see you all over. I see you. All right, listen to me. Everybody, eyes open, heads up. This is what I want to do. I want to pray this prayer together, and I'm believing that in this moment, God's going God's to do something really special in your life. Come on, has anybody ever prayed and you felt God answer? Has anybody ever prayed and God has responded? Make a little bit of noise. If, so for all these people who are getting ready to pray and 
believe in for God. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's say this, dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. Today, I give my life to you. I give it back to you. Take it all. Use me for your glory. I don't want to be the same. Come on. I don't want to be the same. I want to change. I want things to be different. And today, I'm believing they're going to be different. So I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. I believe you are God. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you are coming again. I believe you love me. I believe you have a purpose for me. I believe you have great plans for me. Thank you for a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Calvary Church, can we put our hands together one more time? Come on, let's bless the Lord right now. Hallelujah, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're moving. You're so grateful. So grateful. Listen, if you made a decision today, we'd love to hear from you. You can do a couple things. You can, you can text the word decision to that same number, 423-443-4339. Or at the end of the service, if you'd like to talk to somebody, we'll have some of our prayer team up front. They would love to meet you. Or you can go into the hallway here, in this place right here, my right, your left, called The Hub. There'll be people in there and you can grab somebody that's at one of those tables and say, hey, I made a decision for the Lord today. And we would love to connect with you and help you in your journey. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. We'll see you, see you very soon. Don't wait till Saturday to register for church. Don't do it. It'll be full.